0: Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here. Thank you for waking up. I know that right around uh, 11 o'clock, we'll see some people popping in, being sort of confused at what's going on. Thank you. Also, worship team, we've got, for the guests we had too, you guys know that, to uh, you know, some, these guys are, uh, perform all around the country sometimes, so you should, they've, uh, it's great for a privilege for us to have them here with us. Um, it, if you um, if you don't know me, my name is Joe. Um, our family and I have been uh, part of this congregation for the since we since we started. Um about six years ago, and since we sort of started again about another three years ago. Um, our pastors, uh, Jake and Shay Toman, are away visiting Shay's family this week during spring break. Uh, so you'll be hearing from me today and Sean James next week. Um, just to get to know us a little bit, um, we've been here in Round Rock for uh, about seven years. Um, both of uh, my wife is a, a first grade teacher in Round Rock ISD. Our two older children are, are our ISD graduates. Are, our son Christopher is a freshman at McNeil right now, um, and so uh, we've been here and enjoyed being part of this fellowship for a while, and it's a privilege to bring God's Word to this morning. Um, I also, uh, during the week, am a missionary to college students. I've been doing that for about 25 years or so, and uh, then um, and Tracy and I have been married for well, 25 years this, this, uh, this um, summer, so we've been in that for a quarter of a century now. Um, And uh, so we've got a chance to uh, to to bring Philippians to us this morning. Philippians is a letter. We're part of a, a series called Dear Church. We will be uh, in the book of Philippians now, and then after Easter, we will be in the books of First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, these are funny words, funny names, if you're not familiar with the Bible, and that just means that this uh, Philippians is a letter to Christians to a church in the city of Philippi, and later on we'll be reading or uh, studying through uh, Paul's letters to Christians in the city of Thessalonica. That's why it's called Thessalonians and Philippians. Um, This is the third in four weeks in the four chapters of Philippians. And one of the things that we have been doing in Philippians is seeing the overlap between the book of Philippians and our core values here uh, at uh, the Vessel Collective Church. And so Jake's done this a bunch of times, so can anyone name the four core values for us? Authenticity, humility, unity, Generosity, right, right. So those are our four core values and we have already seen all four of those, if you've been paying attention, all four of those figure prominently in the first couple chapters of Philippians, especially unity and humility. Um, arguably, unity and humility along with joy would be the three main themes of the book of Philippians. And you can also, you might also might make the case that, that unity is one of the main themes that you see through all of Paul's letters to churches. Um, Today, we are going to see Paul's authenticity. He's going to talk about himself transparently. He's going to talk about who he is, where he's come from, the deepest desires of his heart. He's also going to be authentic emotionally. He's already done that. He's been authentic about the depth of his love for the Philippians. He's been authentic about his circumstances being in jail and his feelings about that. And today, we're going to see some less Upbeat emotions. It's actually, uh, Philippians is probably Paul's most happy letter. It's his happiest letter. And this is one of the few places in the letter where you see him getting upset and and using strong language that shows it. Um, But if you look at Paul's strong language, and in other places where he uses strong language, you get a hint of what he considers important, what he really cares about. If we were to measure what Paul cares about by what made him so mad that he made him want to cuss, then we're going to hear about that today. Um, I could not answer the question, if Paul had to preach just one sermon, what would it be? But it might possibly be what we hear today. I'm not even sure I'm able to say, if Joe were to preach one sermon, what would it be about? But today's topic might be it. So let me pray for us and we'll jump right in. God, we thank you for this time that you've woken us all up, whether we're sitting uh, watching um, church at home or whether we're sitting here in person. Um, We ask that, that you are not limited by time and space. And so wherever we are, would you reach out and to touch us, to be with us? Would you awaken not just our minds and our bodies, but our hearts and our souls and our spirits? We acknowledge that your word is life, but your word is only life if your Holy Spirit makes it alive, that our our words are only life if you make us alive through them. I confess the uh, inability of human words, of my words, to be able to bring life, but that only your spirit through your word can bring life. And so we do ask this morning, humbly, that you would give us the grace of enlivening our hearts through your word. God, if there are things that I say that are in accord with your word and what your spirit wants to say, would you make our hearts alive from them? And any things that are not words from your spirit, would they just sort of pass over our ears and go in one ear and out the other? Um, So Lord, we, we count on that. We rely on that. Nothing can happen except for that. And so we give ourselves to you, both our speaking and our listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are houses that you want to visit, and there are houses that you don't want to visit. And you can tell by the signs that are in front of the houses. Um, You know that there's a house that you want to visit when there is a sign that says, welcome, right? As so many houses say, they have a sign that says, welcome. You know that there's a house that you don't want to visit when they have a different kind of sign. And you know what I'm talking about? The sign says, beware of Dog, right? Beware of dog. And that's another way of saying, do not come and step on my property. Paul's uh, uh, chapter three of Philippians begins with a warning Beware of dogs. Let me uh, begin with chapter two, or is it three? I think it might be three. No, two. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. In the original language, it's three bewares, beware dogs, beware evildoers, beware mutilators, beware. Now, the fun, funny thing about this is in Philippians, we have already encountered people that you think that Paul might say beware of, but he doesn't. We have encountered people who are badmouthing Paul and saying bad things about him and trying to discredit him. Paul does not say beware those people. We have also encountered people that have put Paul in prison and are a threat to his life. And, and that there are people in Philippi that are threat to life and limb of the Christians in Philippi. He does not say, beware of those people. As a matter of fact, he says the opposite. He says, don't worry about the people that are, mess- that are messing with me. If they're preaching Christ, I don't care. He says, don't worry about the people that could even kill you. God will sort it out. out. Don't worry about them, but beware Beware of dog, or dogs here. He says, beware of these people. Now, who are they? From other parts of the New Testament, we can figure out that they were probably Christians who taught that in order to truly follow Jesus, you had to become Jewish like Jesus was, and like his original followers were, and like most of his followers still were. The most definitive mark of being Jewish was that Jewish males were circumcised, so much so that some Jews called themselves the circumcision. That was a shorthand way of saying they were Jews. Um, Paul ridicules that by calling them mutilators. Now, this can sound really far from our experience to say, well, in order to be a good Christian, you have to be a good Jew. Um, We don't don't hear that very much in Christian circles uh, these days. But if you think about it for a minute, Don't we do the same thing in different ways? Whenever there's a group of Christians, there are things that you have to do to be a good Christian. To be a good Christian, you have to do this. One of my mentors in college was brought to Christ by by largely military folks. And he said for the first few years of being a Christian, he felt like Christians were people that every day prayed, read their Bible, and, and went running. And he thought those were the three, because, you know, all these military guys, were, you know, went running every day. He just thought that was part of being a good Christian. And so that's a funny example, but there are, are, are less funny examples that maybe some of us experience where you go to a church where you, to be a good Christian, you have to act a certain way. You have to do certain things. Don't do other certain things. Um, for many churches, it's a really big deal to say that if you're a Christian, you never drink alcohol. Um, and then actually, in recent years, there's certain kind of churches that react against that, where it actually feels like you're not a good Christian if you don't drink alcohol, right? There's, there's sort of this new sort of hipster kind of church that's out there where, you're, where that's sort of the, 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 the way things work. Um, uh, when, pe- when missionaries go to different cultures, that, that's part of, it's part of the temptation of missionaries when you convert people to, to Christianity to also say, you have to convert to whatever culture the missionaries came from. That's a temptation. And that's part of, the same, part of the same problem that we see here, saying to be a good Christian, you have to be this. You know, an extreme example of that is, is the North American mission schools uh, for that missionaries di- made for Native Americans or Native Canadians. Uh, these schools would take children away from their families um, and, and they would live in these schools where, where, you are, where you are beaten for speaking anything other than English and where the motto was, kill the Indian, save the man. That's an example of, being, uh, uh, of doing the kind of thing that Paul says. And again, you, Christians do it in big ways, in small ways. Now, um, Paul says this. These people who, who say to be a good Christian, you have to be part of the circumcision. He says in verse 3, For it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself might have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put, have, put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul essentially saying, All those people who say to be a good Christian, you have to be a good Jew, take a look at me. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He talks about his identity in terms of where he came from and what he did where he came from. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. The uh, Old Testament law said that newborn males were supposed to be circumcised on the eighth day. So he said, not only am I circumcised, I was circumcised on the exact right day. Um, And also by saying circumcised on the eighth day, he was saying, like, I was born into uh, being uh, Jewish. I I wasn't a convert later on. Like, I've been Jewish for as long as you could possibly be Jewish. This is essentially his way of saying that. Of the people of Israel... Of the tribe of Benjamin, Uh, the tribe of Benjamin was not the most notable tribe. That would be Judah. That's the tribe of David and Jesus. But Benjamin would have been like top three or four, you know, Um, and uh, of the the tribes of of Israel. A Hebrew of Hebrews. It's, It's not exactly, it's not exactly clear what that means, but a Hebrew of Hebrews either means like a big time Hebrew, like a real Hebrew or a Hebrew of Hebrews might be saying like, I'm a Hebrew and my parents were also Hebrews. Um, So like he also in Acts, he said, I'm a Pharisee and a son of a Pharisee. Um, And so, uh, and in regard to the law, um, oh, so sorry, that's it. Um, That's where he comes from. We're going to talk about what he did later on. Now, these, these things about where he comes from, where he came from was important to him and they were good things. Now, I'm a newcomer to Texas in the last uh, seven years and and uh, apparently for people that are in Texas like it's a big deal that they're from Texas right Um, and if you're not from Texas you have to get used to that when you came here like you, you come to Texas and you notice how many people have a star or a flag. In their, in their house or in their property somewhere. That's not usual. Like, I come from Ohio. Um, I could not, the only way I could pick Ohio's flag out of the lineup is because I know Ohio, the Ohio flag is a banner. It's actually, it's not a rectangle. It's got a little notch in it. But I actually could not tell you what the rest of the Ohio flag looks like. Um, People in Texas are into being Texas. I also found out by after moving to Texas, people in Texas are really into whatever part of Texas they're actually from. So that if you are, like if you're born and raised multiple generations in Dallas, you feel about Dallas the way that people in Texas feel about Texas, and you would never move to Houston, right? That kind of thing. Um, so, we, we, you know, people are into where they're from. The last place we live was Roanoke. It was a small town in Virginia, Roanoke, Virginia. It was no bigger than, than Round Rock. the whole whole town. But the thing is, round, it only had two high schools, but it was divided into four quadrants. Northeast, Northwest, Southeast, Southwest. And it was part of your address. Our address was Horseman Drive, Northeast. And you identified with the quadrant of that small town you were in. You shopped in that part of town. You rarely went to other parts of town. Um, you, you had stereotypes about what the other parts of town were. I had a friend who lived in Southeast who was from outside of, outside of Roanoke. And he said, I was in the grocery store the other day. I saw a teenager with Southeast tattooed to his face. <laughs> like he was not planning on moving from that part of town. We are, we are into where we're from. And our heritage is a good thing. It's, a, it's not just where we're from. it actually where we're from is a, a shorthand of saying, what's our story? What are your values? And those can be good things. Now, Paul not only talks about where he's from, he talks about what he did. He said, In regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting to the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Now, he was a Pharisee. Now, we hear a lot of stories in the Bible about Jesus' run-in with Pharisees. And because of that, when we say Pharisee, we normally think like bad guy, right? Like you have a negative thing. You don't want to be called a Pharisee. That's not the way it was in Paul's day. Like, like um, a Pharisee was like a Marine. Like if you say someone's a Marine, that means they're the most committed and accomplished like group of people in the military. And so to say if you're a Pharisee is like what people would say if they're a Marine in military circles around now. Um, and, and, uh, and when he says, I'm persecuting the church, persecuting the church was a bad thing. But here he's using it as an example of his zeal. So he's not talking about persecuting the church. He's saying, I, was, I cared so much. I was so passionate about the law that I was willing to perse- persecute the church. And even more than that, he said he was faultless in terms of following Jewish law. And again, because of years of Christian readings of Paul and, the, and the, the, because we know that Paul was converted from that, we again, we look at it as, a, as if it's a bad thing. But like back then, it, it's, it was like he was just saying, and I graduated with a 4.0 from Pharisee school, you know, or I, I got a 1600 in the Pharisee SAT, right? So it was just a way of him saying his, his accomplishment. I cannot emphasize enough that in context, these were good things. They were the things that Paul authentically valued, and he valued about himself. You see, identity is not just where you come from and what you do. It's the things you most value about where you come from and what you do. That's what your identity is. In small group, we studied this, uh, this passage this week, and one of the things we did is we went around and said, what do you really like about yourself? We went around, and people said, "What do you really like about yourself?" And, and I really—I I wish you all could have been there. Like it was beautiful, right? Like when you talk to people, saying, "I sort of value myself, this about myself." Like when you heard it, you was like, "Yeah, that's right. That's you. That's you." Like it's—and it—and it was like the unique type things that we all see in each other, that we we value about each other. That like it's—it's there. It's the best qualities of the people in the small group, and it was—it was a beautiful experience. I wish you could have been there. But when Paul lists out all the things most important to him, he goes on to say this. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Here, Paul uses financial language, language of gains and losses. Businesses have a P&L statement a profit and loss statement. As a matter of fact, Martha, for, as church treasurer, will every quarter, like, print out a PNL statement for, uh, for the board. A pro- uh, and a profit is the money that comes in, or a gain. And losses are the money that goes out, like money you spend. Most of you have, or you should have, some sort of checkbook or personal record of the money that you spend, right? Somewhere in there. It's a good habit to have. Generally, you like to see a gain. You don't like to see a loss. Uh, we were in a car accident a couple of weeks ago and we're starting to get insurance payments and medical bills. The payments are good, the bills are bad, right? The, pro- the gains are good, losses are bad. Um, we got our first insurance check, then we promptly got an email saying, That check was in error, it was in canc- it was, uh, it's been canceled, please uh, destroy it. We're reissuing another one. Um, you you uh, you want your payments to be big and your bills to be small, uh, and they but it's pretty much always the other way around. And now the, the notable thing about Paul is this: he says the things he used to consider gain, the checks he now considers loss as if it's a bill. He's looking at a check and considering it a bill. He then goes further and says he considers them garbage it's easy for us to look at his list of things because they're so strange to us and, and to miss the impact here that he lists all these things and says, oh, I consider them a liability. It's like garbage. Um, it, uh, it maybe I would imagine for you, let's think about the Marine again. Let's say you have a decorated Marine and a war veteran. And that person says, I consider my American citizenship and my purple heart garbage. That's the impact of what Paul said. And why would he say such a thing? He says, because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He considers them all all these best things about himself garbage. That I might gain Christ and be found in him. Now follow this. This It's going to be hard to understand, so you have to follow. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. This is really important for us to get now. It hinges on the word righteousness and the fact that there are two kinds of righteousness. There's the kind of righteousness that is his own righteousness that comes from the law, and there's the kind of righteousness that comes from God and is through faith in Christ. For all his life, Paul had been seeking this first kind of righteousness for himself from the law. When he did right by the law, he was righteous. The better he did with the law, the more righteous he was. Now, I don't think any of us spend our life trying to be righteous according to first century Jewish law. That was a long time ago in a different culture for most of us. Um, but I'd like to posit that all of us have different kinds of laws that we seek to be righteous by. Let me help you identify the way you get righteousness. Hint, it's often related to our favorite things about ourselves. It's important for me to be X. I really like that I am X. People really, people really admire me for being X. They like me for this reason. Let me ask you a few more questions. What kind of accusation would most offend you? If someone someone accused uh, Peter or Paul of eating bacon, they would be offended. If someone accused me of eating bacon, I would just say, thank you, yes, please. What failure would most devastate you? Here's one from Daily Life, and you see it all the time if you pay attention. When do you feel like you have to make excuses? When do you feel like you have to make excuses for something? Because you have to prove something about yourself. It happened to me just this morning. So Jessica, uh, she uh, texted me like middle of the week saying, Hey, praying for you. Go ahead and send me your notes or your like, uh, and, and send Casey your, 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 your notes for anything. So I didn't send her anything. This morning she said, I'm praying for you. And I texted her back and saying, Hey, sorry I didn't send you notes. I had time to prep the sermon, but didn't have time for the notes. So if you read that text, you realize that I needed her to know that even though I didn't send her notes, I was prepping the sermon and I wasn't mailing it in, right? So I, I, I realized it just this morning when I sent the text. Um, it was important for me to say like, oh, he's not like just like, you know, you know, uh, improv-ing his way through this whole thing. We, we see that like, it, um, it, like my, my two boys play baseball. Um, it's important to them to be good at baseball. I have, I have had a, base, a legitimate base hit um, one time in my life. That's like, that's like playing like, sports like in the playground. Like, of all the times of playing baseball, like, even just like in someone's backyard, I've had a, a legitimate base hit one time in my entire life. So if you say that I am not good at baseball, it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> it's like the bacon thing. Now, I like to know things. Like, I like to be thorough and to be well-informed. So if you tell me, he doesn't know what he's talking about. That bothers me, right? So it's different for each one of us. But we all have those things that are our righteousness. And, and if, if, if we meet that standard, we're okay. But if we don't meet that standard, it bothers us. For Paul, it was meeting the Jewish law. For us, it's going to be other kinds of things. Paul used to strive to gain and maintain righteousness through his law. And we do the same thing in other ways. He was ambitious for it. He went hard after it. He tried to run up the score on his righteousness, and he succeeded. But then he met Jesus, and he discovered he didn't just need to be saved from his sins. He needed to be saved from his righteousness. Let me say that again. He didn't just need to be saved from his sins. He needed to be saved from his righteousness. This is the important thing. I want us to get today. Jesus doesn't need to save us from our worst. He doesn't just need to save us from our worst. He also needs to save us from our best. Jesus doesn't just need to save us from our worst. He needs to save us from our best. Why? Well, because our worst qualities are dangerous to us, but at least we usually know that they are. But our best qualities, the ones that we are most attached to, the good qualities that win us the most approval, give us the most self-esteem, these are the idols that are the hardest to recognize. Let me put this another way. The glorious message of the gospel is that Jesus pays for our sins. If we were to use a financial analogy, it means he takes our bills, our debts, and exchanges them for his fully paid, completely clean Credit history. He switches our, he takes care of our debts. But the gospel's more than that. It's not just that we get to exchange our sin record for his perfect sin record. We also get to exchange our righteousness record for his righteousness record. And that might be harder, right? Because with our sins, we're exchanging something bad for something good. And I'll take that deal. But with righteousness, we're exchanging something good for something better. And we'll only make that exchange if we recognize how much better it is. Um, Paul says he considers all of his gains loss and even garbage. By the way, there are many words that you could translate that word garbage. Garbage is the nicest way you could translate that word. Think about it. You're right, if you're wondering what the other translations would be. It's so, so it's similar to when Jesus says, anyone who does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, cannot be my disciple. He's not saying that you're actually supposed to hate your families. But he is saying that you do recognize that your relationship with Jesus is worth so much more than our best relationships in life. So Paul is not saying that his heritage actually is garbage. He's not saying that all the stuff that, that's the best about you is garbage. But he is saying that our cherished ideals, our most cherished ideals, values, and identities, aren't, although they are not garbage, Jesus is worth so much more than them, so much more, that comparing our best to Jesus might, well be, might as well be comparing garbage to Jesus. We see in Philippians here that Paul doesn't stop striving, but he's changed how he's striving. He stopped striving for a righteousness of his own. He used to put his whole heart and mind and strength into running up the score on his righteousness so he could be more and more righteous. And they were good things. Why not run up the score on those things? They were good things. We might like to run up the score on our work, our marriage, our parenting, our church ser- serving, our being a nice person, our, even our being generous, all these good things. But Paul saw something else. He, he, instead of running up the score on his righteousness, now he wants to run up the score on the worth of Jesus Christ. His new ambition, his new goal, is to show that Jesus is worth more than anything else you could conceive of. It's worth more than anything else in his life. Um, and now you can see in the, we're not going to talk about the second half of the Philippians, but you heard it, uh, Philippians 3, you heard it from Jessica. Whereas before he thought, I was shooting for this goal and I haven't made it. He's now got this new goal. He said, I haven't made it, but I'm going to keep pushing toward it. And what is that goal? That goal is to show the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. If you look at Paul's life, sometimes it meant doing things that looked like Jewish righteousness. Other times it meant look, doing things that looked like Jewish unrighteousness. The point was not making the mark and running up the score of his righteousness. The point was running up the score on the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. He was no longer throwing his whole life into showing that the law was worth it. He was throwing his whole life into showing that Jesus Christ was worth it. So what does this mean for us? Well, if you're out there um, watching us or if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're just checking this Christian thing out, this sermon was probably pretty intense for you. Uh, maybe a little weird for you. And my invitation to you is this. Get to know some of us. Get to know some of us and watch. And even if you're, if you're bold enough, ask us, is Jesus worth it? What in your life have you, have you done to show that Jesus is worth it? Where has Jesus been worth it? In your life, ask us about that. I hope and I trust that as you look at our lives, we're not going to get this perfect. It's like Paul, we're, we're going for it, we're not quite there, but you will see things about how we live our lives imperfectly, but you will see things that show that we think Jesus is worth it. He's worth it more than even good things. I hope that you'll see that from us. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, I have a challenge for you and a hope for you. My hope is that you will experience this, that you'll experience this throughout your life, that you'll experience the way that Jesus is more worth it than even the best things about you, not just the worst things, but Jesus is more worth it than the best things about you and about your life. And my challenge to you is, will you look at your life that way? What is your life about? Like I know this week, um, our family between the three of us probably had more deadlines in a week than we probably had in a long, long time in just one little little uh, span of deadlines. And often our, our life is just meeting one deadline after another. But then look at the big picture. And I recognize that we have to live our life and our, do our day-to-day thing. But what is your life about, big picture? Can I make the challenge to you that your life is not about trying to meet a standard? Uh, not certainly not about meeting a bad and unhealthy standard, but your life is not even about trying to meet a really good and healthy standard at the end. Now, certainly, I'd rather you do good and healthy things than bad and unhealthy things. Like, that's true for all of us, but that's not what our life is about. Can I challenge us to say that our life is about demonstrating and proving the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord— proving it to others as they see, and proving it to ourselves in our daily experience. Does that mean you have to give up everything all at once? Of course not. But I will say this. You only really know, demonstrate, and experience the, val- the surpassing value of something uh, over something. You'll only believe that Jesus is better than something if you lose it or you- if you're at a threat of losing it. That's really when you know and when other people see. Um, so it doesn't mean that you go out like saying, I'm just going to forget this, forget my job, forget my family. I'm not saying any of those things. But I am say, saying that what if you looked at your life and say, this life is about me, my lived experience and other people being able to see a demonstration that Jesus is worth it, that there's a surpassing value of knowing Jesus that makes all the best things as if they might as well have been garbage. It's intense. Paul was intense. So we get one of these, 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 uh, these pictures of him that's intense today. But he's intense because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. That there is a righteousness that you can get for yourself. But at its best, it is nothing compared to the righteousness that you could get for free. The righteousness that Jesus lived. It comes from God and is given to you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.